This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Remember, you can text me 2057 and you can email me at inbox at radleycheck.radio. Well, I think you're going to appreciate the story. It amazes me that this can happen. And to explain what it's all about, it's this fixed issue of rebates where suppliers have to pay, I think they do it for supermarkets. Um, and in this particular case, we're talking about farmlands where the shop demands a payment from those supplying them to put your product on their store shelf. And the customers can't know about it. It's like a, well, I'd call it a backhander to sell your product rather than here's what the customers want. We make a margin and we'll supply what customers want. No, no, we'll supply, we'll we'll sell those products if they pay us to sell them. Hmm. Find that tricky. And in discussing it, we've got, a very, very long-term and a very special friend of mine who I've known for coming up for 50 years. And his name is Roger Beatty, and he's a serial entrepreneur, and I'm thinking he's been a fisherman. He's been a power fisherman. He's a farmer, sheep, beef, and would you believe it, he farms weckers. He produces a wild cosy wear which are woolen products. He farms blue pearls in Akaroa Harbour. He owns giant kelp quota, and he harvests and processes live kelp. And along with his brother, Ivan, he has the family business, which his dad started. I think his name was Doug Beatty. Beatty Insulators. Welcome to the show, Roger. Thank you, Rodney. Did I cover off enough of your entrepreneurial activities? You, you always did, more. Yeah, let's not confuse them with anything more. <laughs> well, what is it that makes an entrepreneur? Because we need more of them. We've got too many people going off to school, studying hard, studying hard, getting into university, studying hard, and coming out as lawyers and accountants, all good things, all necessary things. But we need creative people who start businesses and build businesses, which is what an entrepreneur does. They're the engine room of growth. You're one. Where, do, where does entrepreneurialism come from? How do you inculcate it? How do you develop it? Because we seem to be smashing it out of people every which way. Um, I think it's different for different people, but certainly government can uh, hinder entrepreneurship by getting in the way. Um, sometimes that getting in the way just makes people more stubborn. I think it, it's... I think it could be genetic. I yes. think it might might even go back to sort of the primal days when we were hiding in the cave and, you know, the three sons and a couple of daughters in the cave were 
were you know listening to mum and she was saying, no, don't go out, you'll get bitten by the tiger. <laughs> and the one renegade son, you know, they were starving and there was a tiger outside and he picked up a spear and he ran outside and, you know, got his arm bitten but killed the tiger, you know, and it's that, it's that entrepreneurial progress. And, you know, those, you know, going back to the you need you, need you need the ones that fit into society and are the cogs in the machine to make it work. But the entrepreneur, of which I'm not one, sadly. I the, think you are more of an entrepreneur than you think, Oh, Rodney. well, that's kind. I hope so. They're the ones you're an that, intellectual entrepreneur. Yeah, they're okay. the ones that come along and say, hang on, I can put these cogs together in a better way and make a better clock. You know? Yeah, true. Process. I mean, there's different levels of entrepreneurship. There's there's those that go, well, I'm not even gonna have cogs in a clock. Yes. I'm I'm gonna. I'm going to invent something completely different, and it's digital. Yes. Or, you know, a different way of farming marine species. Your that, dad your dad was Doug, right? Yeah, Doug. Yeah, and he was a he was, he a, was a serial inventor. And <laughs> I remember once somebody copied one of his <clears throat> electric fence insulators, and he was a bit pissed off. He wasn't really pissed off, but he was a bit annoyed. Careful with the and, language. And, and, and yeah, no, he, he never swore. Just to remember with language, Roger, think of it like this. We're in lovely people's homes. Right. So we yeah. be respectful. It's yeah. not just you and me talking. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and he he um, he just said well, we'll just develop something better. Isn't that great? i got to tell everyone, I met Roger at university, and I'm going to say it was 1975. Yes, it was. So that's a while ago. And Roger was running around the university, and um, I guess some people were drinking and cavorting, and Roger was uh, working full-time for the Social Credit Party, to get support on the university. And when I came back the second year, there was no Roger. I didn't know him that well. <laughs> and I said to everyone, oh, what happened to that funny fellow, Roger Beatty? He was a character. And they said, oh, didn't you hear? I said, no. Oh, he missed all his exams. Oh, dear, did he? Was he stupid? No, it must be. And didn't do the work. What's he doing? Oh, he's gone to sheep shearing school and last we heard he was out on the Chatham Islands shearing sheep and I thought oh my goodness what a terrible fate because bending over shearing sheep all day that's a terrible terrible thing to have to do for the rest of your life and then I thought Oh, my goodness. To do that, I'd never been to the Chatham Islands, but it sounded like inhospitable. And then you knock off work after shearing sheep all day and you go home and you're in the Chatham Islands. And I thought, let that be a lesson 
to me <laughs> to pass my exams. Well, years later, I meet Roger, and he's employing all those people, including me for a while, who had studied, who had worked hard and got their degrees and presented themselves onto the job market as accountants, as scientists, as policy people, as managers, as lawyers. Roger came back employing them all to work in his many businesses. And I thought, ha, ha, how did they work? And I don't think this is a mistake to say this. Compared to everyone else that had got their degrees, rich. It's an amazing thing, isn't it, Roger? Sometimes going off the rails or failing at something is the best thing that can ever happen. That's true. Um, my break on the Chathams came when um, voters came into power and it was a change in fisheries regime and the fishery previous to the quota system starting had been managed by five companies having a share of a certain number of canned power that could be exported and they had you know they had a monopoly on it and they were holding the price down as soon as quotas came in there was a restriction on the amount of power that could be caught and we the power divers started lobbying and we worked out where the the weaknesses were and we organized different meetings and you know beat up on the bureaucrats and the politicians and eventually a couple of years later we had a 500% increase in price because these guys were ripping us off so that's where i learned about what can happen when you've got an outfit ripping you off or outfits ripping you off and when you expose the truth good things happen Yes, well, good for you. And you've had many, 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 many fights, um, mostly with government trying to knock you around, and you're up for the you're up for the fight. Tell us, listeners will be interested in this, two things before we get into the heart of this matter. Listeners will be very interested, I think, in your woolen products. Tell us about the woolen products that you've got and you sell, because that's quite something. Well, this is one of the products I'm wearing now. They so, can't see. This is on audio. It's only you and oh, okay, I. Okay, right. Okay, so I'm wearing I a... would have shaved if <laughs> I was going to be welcomed into the listener's home. Well, I've got to um, tell you, I'm living off the grid, as you know. Right. It snowed this morning, and it's been cold. And I thought, oh, shaving in cold water, Roger won't mind. <laughs> Not at all. So our wild products, well, funnily enough, going back to those sharing days um, on the Chathams, I did a season sharing for the Tuanui's and a couple of other families out there and had a great time. And then I got a contract culling wild sheep on Pitt Island. 
And there were about, I don't know, five to 8,000 wild sheep. And I culled about 3,500 of them over about an 18-month period, along with a few other people. And, um, you know, that was a great time that I had out there. <clears throat> and towards the end of that culling program, I thought, heck, these sheep are tough. They've, uh, they're running with big Romney weathers, which are castrated rams, and that, that don't have a lamb, so they don't have a seasonal requirement of needing a lot of food coming into lambing. And there were skewer gulls and pigs, yet every lamb was born almost running, as the locals would say. <laughs> and and towards the end of that program, I thought, I need to farm some of these. So when my wife, Nikki, and I bought the farm Koai Vale on Banks Peninsula, we, we got some of these sheep in. And at our peak, we were running about 2,500 Pit Island wild sheep. And the wool we um, got off them it is um, quite unlike any other wool because it's designed for the sheep rather than designed to be heavy and to produce a lot of it and to be able to go through a processing machine quickly. Mm. So this wool is very bulky. Um, it's got a helical crimp. It's a twisted fibre and processors hate it. But the very reason that it's fantastic for sheep is it's fantastic for people. So it's incredibly lightweight, traps a lot of air, and is really cosy. And it also, when you blend it with a lustrous fibre like possum, it produces quite a strong and uh, luxurious feeling product. And then we put a little bit of nylon in our socks, for instance, just to give it strength. And that market's growing flat out. Isn't that great? And how do you stop your sheep from interbreeding with local sheep? Is that a problem? Well, I guess you've got fences for that. We just have lots of rams. <clears throat> and our focus now is away from the wild sheep to another breed of sheep called Boheepies, and they were bred up through the wild sheep by ag research mm. for low-cost, easy-care um, sheep, and, and they've got short tails, bare backsides, um, and we're now running about 2,500 of those. And we've now got them at Lincoln University on a $6 million study looking at regen ag compared to conventional ag. So that's fantastic. Well, yeah, you're a great entrepreneur ahead of your time and looking after the planet. I have to say, you kindly gave me a hat, and it's a lightweight hat. And it's... listeners won't know this, but I have less hair than I used to have, Roger. <laughs> And I can't go out without a hat on my head, even in midsummer. But in winter, I put that little hat on that you gave me. Oh, my goodness, you don't even know you have it on. So warm. So wonderful. And i got to say, quite stylish. 
Thank you, Rodney. If listeners want to, we've got a lot of knitters listening. If listeners, can they buy your wool and knit with it? We do have some, but our focus is on our hats, blankets. Okay. Jerseys, socks. You know, Where do you go hair. to find that stuff? I just type in W-Y-L-D, wool, and you'll get to us. Great. Okay, Roger, that's a bit of introduction, a bit of advertising <laughs> for you. Um, and another thing I need to ask you on behalf of listeners, we had on a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful man who you had many, 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 many years ago described to me in sort of awestruck terms. And I thought, if Roger Beattie thinks this guy is tough, <laughs> oh, my goodness. And that was Mad Mac Macintosh. <laughs> <laughs> we had Mad Mac Macintosh on. You can listen to him on replay if you didn't catch it. What a guy. He's a character. He, he is. And Mad Mac and I broke the monopoly, you know, of the two most important people that broke the power monopoly, it was Mad Mac and I. Yeah. I mean, right. he's he's tireless, Mac. He's a legend, right? Yeah. I imagine you've got a few stories. We won't run through them now, but I imagine you have lots of great stories and memories of Mad Mac. Yeah, some of them I can't talk about. Well, funny <laughs> enough, he doesn't have a filter. And um, I was a little shocked. Some of the things he told us. <laughs> Basically how he spent his money. Yes. Uh, and um <coughs> he sort of lived the I guess he was a he lived the lifestyle of a rock star when he had head to Las Vegas, right? Oh my goodness. Yes. Anyway, so your father had a, started a business and invented product and had BT insulators, which when you have an electric fence to keep in stock or you have these insulators going down the fence, and there's a product called BT insulators developed over time and further developed by your dad. And now that business is run by you and your brother, Ivan, yep. and you sell them to farmers. And they're popular, right? They are. Yep. In the Particularly in the South Island, hill country and high country, uh, our permanent insulators would be amongst the most popular. What's special about them that makes them work for Hill and High Country? Oh, because they're the strongest insulator. They're made of low-density polyethylene, and you thread them. And we've got a 50-year guarantee on Wow. <laughs> Unconditional. <laughs> I've never heard of a 50-year guarantee. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. And I imagine your main competitor is a man that I know and enjoy immensely, Bill Gallagher. Yes. Gallagher's, what do they do? And they're all around the world, right, Gallagher? They are. Is that your main competitor? Like, he's big. Yes, yes. And Gallagher's, in the early days, used to sell BD insulators. Oh, really? Yeah. They were in the... Um, <clears throat> the energizer business first, and then we used to, BD insulators used to sell 
insulators to them. And then when Dad's patents were running out, they copied a whole lot of his okay. insulators. Okay. Because Bill Gallagher took over the business from his dad and 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 built it, didn't he? Yes. Um, and like he is around the world. It's a big business based in Hamilton. And you're making your insulators in Christchurch. Yes. Yeah. Good for you and your brother Ivan. Oh, my goodness. Now, this is where we get to it because if I'm a farmer and I'm wanting to put up an electric fence and have my 50-year guarantee for my insulators, I head into the shop and load up my ute, right? <laughs> and typically, I'd go to farmlands. Yes, and you supply farmlands. Yes, we do. With BD insulators. And I'd load up and I'd get my wire and I'd, I'd get my energizer and I'd get my posts and I'd be wearing my swandra and my short pants and my boots and I'd head up country and I'd go fencing. Right? Farmlands, which I didn't know, is a co-op. Yes, it is. So... Was it a co-op put together by farmers? Yes, it was. So um, how do I – so a, a group of farmers got together, started the business to give themselves a good deal, presumably, and put the money in and made themselves shareholders. Yes, so not every farmer is a shareholder, not like, say, you know, Frontier or something like that. It's particular farmers that put money into farmlands to start the business. Yeah, there's a lot of shareholders now. It's like tens of thousands of shareholders. And is that, can you buy and sell the shares? Um, I think it costs 600 to join. Okay. And I'm not sure what. The shares are worth. Um, oh, and when you join, you get a discount, presumably. Yes, you get a shareholder price. Yeah. Ah, so the incentive to join is I join, I join farmlands as a shareholder. I'm not looking to make money so much out of my shares. Yes. I'm yeah. looking to make savings on when I purchase. <coughs> Correct. Yeah. So um, if I'm going to do a certain a lot of business with farmlands, I should sign up. True. Yeah. I went to farmlands in Cromwell when I did my fencing, which I um, am very proud of. And then I went down to Gold Pine in Cromwell, and I found Gold Pine with more stock and more helpful. Are they? Are they a what a Gold Pine? Um, they're more a timber rural outfit. Um. Farmlands have been and other changing well. over from um, older, experienced managers to younger ones. Oh, sounds bad. Sounds dodgy. Now, this is where we get to it. I find this extraordinary. So tell us about you're happily selling BD insulators through farmlands, and then what happens? Uh, you mean about the rebates thing? Or? Yes, absolutely. Okay, the rebates so thing. about five years ago, we had our first meeting <clears throat> with the category manager for fencing 
in farmlands and he put he, he asked you to the meeting or you invited yourself to a meeting? Oh, I'm not sure which way it happened, but probably we asked for a meeting. Yeah. And so my brother and I went along and <clears throat> we had the meeting and, and his thrust was to get us to pay rebates to farmlands as a supplier to farmlands. And we said, well, why would we want to do that? And he said, well, you know, if you want to sell more, you know, you need to pay us rebates. And I said, well, look, I, I, I can't get my head around this rebate business. So I asked him if he had explained it a bit more. And he did. And then I said, look, I'm still a bit confused. Would you mind if I went out and canvassed farmers about what they think about supplier rebates going back to farmlands and he said no 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 don't do that don't do that he said farmers don't understand modern retail and i said are you calling farmers thick no 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 <laughs> I said, well, what are you saying so <clears throat> but farmers are the shareholders and their customers i know i know and they're in the dark So farmers are in the dark. I've got to tell you, I'm in the dark too. What's a rebate? Okay, a, a rebate, <clears throat> there are two types of rebates. One rebate goes from a supplier, for instance, Gallagher, who supply electric fencing gear to farmlands. And that's, from what I've heard, 10 to 15%. And then another rebate gets paid by farmlands to farmers. And when farmers hear the word rebates, they only know of the rebate going from farmlands to the farmer. There's nowhere on the websites or on the website of farmlands and nowhere in the communication and the annual review um, and any of the communication by farmlands to the shareholders and the customers about the rebates that go from the suppliers of product to farmlands. Now, so if I understand, just, just, just stop there. So I come along and I'm selling my insulators or supplying my insulators to farmlands. Yes. And they take $100 of my insulators and then say, you need to pay me $15. Yes. And I say, oh, okay. Then when they come to sell those insulators to the farmer, they say, oh, there's a rebate on these insulators. They won't cost you $100. They'll only cost you $95 or $90 or $85, something less than 100 And they think, good work, farmlands, because I got a rebate. No, that's that's not quite how it works. Okay. Well, tell me how this $100 goes. Okay. So say we had a product that was worth $0.40. Cents. 
um, say an insulator was worth 40 cents. Got it. And there was no rebate. And say there was a double doubling of the price from the wholesale price to the retail price. So it sells say for they eight, were 80 cents. 80 cents. Yeah. Now, if you pay a rebate and call it 10%, um, that would be, uh, or call it 10 cents. Yeah. Um, the price would then be, the wholesale price would go from 40 cents to 50 cents. And then if you doubled that for the, um, <clears throat> for the markup, say a dollar, but it might not quite be a dollar. But so in order for the rebate to work um, for the store the and for the people supplying the insulators, for instance, they have to put the price up to the customer. You're so without rebates, the price might be 80 cents, but with a rebate, the price might be 90 cents to a dollar. You've completely lost me, Rog. Okay. Price goes from I'm 80 telling, cents without rebates. Can I do this? In the absence of a rebate, yep. Yep. here's my insulator. I'm beating insulators. Here's my insulator for 40 cents to farmlands. Yep. Yeah, thank you. They sell it to the farmer for 80 cents and they yep. take a, a, their 40 cents for selling it and holding yep. it and there, and you take your 40 cents for making it. Yeah. Right? True. Then they introduce rebates. So what happens to your 40 cents then? You um, were getting paid 40 cents. Now what are you getting paid? 50 cents. So you're getting paid more. Of course. Because You've got to charge more for a start if you're then going to go after the deal is done a month later to pay a rebate back. Oh, oh, I see. So what that – I get that. That's a bit you missed in the early discussion. So what, what they're saying is we will sell your 40-cent insulator if you give us 10 cents. Yes. That's Ex the rebate part. Got That's it. the rebate, but I'm thick. Okay. No, 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 you're not thick. It's just that it's hidden from everybody, Rodney. And, and what what are you getting for your 10 cents? You're getting well, we don't pay rebates, so we don't get anything. But <laughs> okay. for the so, people so, for the people who do, Rodney, they get more sales, they take other people's products off the shelf. And there's a lessening of competition. Of course. And there's more of a monopoly scenario. And you think about it this way, Rodney. A rebate is either a backhander or a kickback. Yeah. But it's not going into the back pocket of someone. It's going into farmland's account legitimately and being accounted for, presumably. Going into head office, Rodney. Into head office. So okay. it doesn't go back to the stores that sold the product. It goes into middle management in farmlands. Okay. So it goes to 50 cents. 
that you supply it for because you have yeah. to pay 10 cents to farmlands as a rebate. Yeah. They then sell it instead of for 80 cents. They do their normal markup and sell it for a dollar. Yeah. And then they might give the farmer a discount and call it a rebate. They give no. Well, they typically <clears throat> they may do that, but they also give a rebate back to the farmer. But it's a bit like having things um, filtered through a bureaucracy. It's never good for the people buying the product. And if you and so they're explaining this to you that you need to pay this rebate. Yes. And you say, well, look, before we do this, we want to talk to our customers and your customers and shareholders to see what they think about this. And they say you can't do that because they don't understand it. <laughs> well, they, they don't want the truth to get out there, Rodney. They, they might be thinking of me. <laughs> And they say that because <laughs> I struggled with it. But, and farmers don't know this is happening. Of course they don't. And this is called modern marketing. Yes, and Fletchers have now apparently pulled out of paying rebates to the likes of Mitre 10 and um, placemakers because the Commerce Commission got involved. And thought it was anti-competitive behaviour. Yes, yeah. So Fletcher's supplied stuff to Mitre 10 and yep. would pay a rebate to Mitre 10. Yes. Well, I remember, I'm going to be careful how I word this, a prominent ex-rugby player who sold juice coming to see me when I was an MP and saying they were being killed, bringing their product to market, a new product of orange juice, because the supermarkets were wanting them to pay them yes, to sell their product. And he said they couldn't afford to pay them. But if they didn't pay them, then they wouldn't get, their product would be hidden underneath somewhere where you, a customer wouldn't see it at eye level. You know what I mean? They didn't get a shake of the salve. So I think it's quite common, these rebates, in the supermarket business too. It, it is. Um, with supermarkets, they've got, you know, other things about, you know, buying shelf space. Um, and I don't know if that is working with farmlands, but, you know, what they're doing is farmlands are cutting down from 45,000 items that they stock SKUs, they call them, individual items, to 9,500. And this was on the recommendation of a report written by one of the big four uh, accounting firms. Of course, it was written from the point of view of the executive of farmlands, not from the point of view of the owners or the shareholders or the customers. So you refused, you and your brother and BD Insulators refused to pay the rebates. Yes. Why did you refuse? Because wouldn't that make business sense for you? Well, in some sense it would, but it puts, 
it pushes the price up of a product that's already quite expensive to produce. Our insulators are the most expensive to produce because we use the highest quality plastic. Um, so why have them artificially higher just to um, put money in the back pocket of... Well, isn't it... I'm struggling with it, right? Because going back to the analogy, you're happily selling your BD insulators for 40 cents. The farmlands are selling them, in our example, to the farmers for 80 cents, and they take a 40 cent margin. Yeah. That's to cover their costs and to make a, a profit, a return on their capital. So that's how you think of a business like that working. And there's an issue about when you get your 40 cents, whether they pay you when they take the product or when they sell it or what all of that, but just keeping it simple. They could equally say, we're going to take a 50 cent margin. They could. And get their 10 cents that way. They could. And you wouldn't have a problem with that. No, no, not not particularly. Um, because the, the, it goes up <coughs> 10 cents, right? But it's out in the open what their margin is, I guess. But instead of taking that $0.10 cent extra profit margin, they're wanting you to pay $0.10. Cents. Is the $0.10 cents paid up front before they sell the product? No, no, it comes later. So why wouldn't they just put up their margin and call it quits? Well, I'm not sure why, um, and it, it was suggested by the second person we met in Farmlands. He was a contractor brought in to beat us into line, and he oh. had about five very clever ways of trying to get us over the line to say yes to paying rebates. And in the end, he said... Um, in the end, he said, uh, look, if we just put the price up and we'll call it a rebate. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think it's got to do with keeping that information within a smaller group of people. It's got to do with hiding that information from the farmers and the shareholders. We're not it, doing a good job at keeping the secret, then you and I, are we? No, no, I'm I'm on the warpath now, <laughs> Rodney. It, this this is going to be out there, um, and it's going to be a hot topic. And farmlands, um, uh, I've just got all the directors' email addresses, and they will. After this interview, I will be sending them a copy of my letter that I sent to Farmers Weekly to print, telling the whole story. And Farmers Weekly are reluctant to print that in their opinion section. And part of that is that um, they do a lot of advertising in Farmers Weekly. Um, of the last amazing? three um, Farmers Weeklies I've got, um, 
two of them had half-page ads and one of them had a four-page ad. So they don't want to annoy um, farmlands. Well, so the what, media are not doing its job. No, the conventional don't. media. No. Because this is a this is a if there's a good rational business case for having rebates, farmland should be up for explaining it. Of course. Particularly when you're co a cooperative owned by your customers. Of course. <clears throat> and it is a stated aim of farmlands with the second person that we met. This contractor said, we want to lift farmlands' profit closer to the profit of our biggest um, competitor, PG Wrightsons. But PG Wrightsons is a private company and they operate differently, whereas cooperatives should be looking after the benefit of the owners, the shareholders, and the people who buy products. Because as a, as, big profits. as a shareholder, do you get a dividend? No. No, you, you, your only gain from being a shareholder <coughs> is a better price. Yes. And if they're getting a profit, where does that profit go? To well, I might get a rebate, but it's been fed through the bureaucratic machine, um, head office bureaucracy. So, well, one thing that we can do is you can also, when this goes on replay, you can send them this, and I'm going to contact Farmlands and see if they'll come on. And so as, as, as of this day, as of this moment, this has been going on for five years. Yeah. It's obviously affecting your business. Of course. In the last six months, we're down 50%. Whoa. Two farmlands alone. And you won't buckle. Hell no, Rodney. We're going to smash this rebate con job out of the way. And if we smash it for farming, we'll smash it out of the supermarkets as well. So in this five years you've been arguing this, as a supplier and a shareholder, have farmlands ever offered an explanation for why they have this rebate? <laughs> Not a satisfactory one, Rodney. Well, what's the unsatisfactory ones I've put up? Um, oh, they make no sense, so I find it difficult remembering nonsensical arguments. I bet. You, you like, ask them, they'll give you their nonsensical arguments, Rodney. Does it involve a lot of modern marketing speak? Pretty much. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, there you have it, um, listeners. Roger Beattie, great friend of mine, working away 
supplying a product to farmers, selling it through a cooperative who are there to get the best price for farmers. That's why they're shareholders in this business. But you go along there to sell your product, which has been selling quite happily, and they say, well, we need you to give us a payment for us to supply your insulator. And you say, well, you get your margin. Why would I pay you a rebate, a backhander, if you will? Well, because you will. Well, what happens if I don't? Well, we'll show you. And if you don't, suddenly your sales in six months fall by 50%. Presumably they're being shoved around the corner. And ultimately, if they're cutting lines, which lines would they cut? Those lines that are paying rebates or those ones that are not? So it's not then being driven by what the farmers want. It's being driven by head office making decisions for who's paying them extra money. And if you say to them, well, let's take this out to discuss this with our customers and your shareholders and customers, no, 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 because they won't understand modern marketing. It doesn't sit right, Roger, that whole story. No, and it's secretive. It's insidious. So when you and get your, as a shareholder, when you get the farmland's annual report, there's no mention of this. No, no, they mention rebates coming back from farmlands to farmers and shareholders, but they never, ever mention the rebates going from suppliers to farmlands. That somehow, though, if you read their accounts, I don't know because you dropped out of university, and um, but I imagine over the years you've learned to look at a set of accounts and say, oh, yeah, that's that item, there's that item. Do they have a line saying rebates got from suppliers? Uh, not that I've seen, but I haven't had a really good look at their accounts. But <clears throat> it's um, it's not explicit. Um, well you, known. You would, you would bet your farm on the average farmer not knowing that this was going on? No, they're going to be more than a little annoyed when they do find out. Mm. Well, we're making a start. There we you are. Go. That was Roger Bede. Uh, i got to admit, long-time friend of mine, a man I greatly admire for his energy, his enthusiasm, his business sense, the fact that uh, no one can knock Roger down. Uh, literally. I remember once I went out on the Chathams with Roger and he was doing a lot of fishing and getting a lot of power, and there was a bit of the green monster coming out. And I was a young man, I, you know, I wasn't easily cowed. And we went into the one pub in the Chathams with Roger, and there was a bit of aggro. And Roger stood there with this grin on his face while this big guy was sort of about to get physical with him. And I was terrified 
because you looked around this pub and you thought, hmm, not a lot of support here. Um, <laughs> Roger just kept smiling and he smiled his way through. Tough, tough business out there, sharing and fishing and power diving in the Chathams. Well, Roger's done all of that and I greatly admire him and he's been successful. And he's always been a man that stands up for principle and for openness and from transparency. And he'll do that to his great cost because he won't sell out. So that was Roger Beattie on the vexed issue of rebates. If someone can shed light on rebates, send me a text at 2057, email me at inbox at rallycheck.radio, tell us what you think of them, tell us whether you think they're a good idea, because I can't see it. I can't see what they do, but I might, we may be missing something. We'd love to hear from you. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, Radley Check Radio. Thank you for listening. Rebates. Interesting. Sound expensive. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m.